Welcome everyone to another Abundance Group Personal Trust Q&A call for Wednesday, October 25th, 2023. My gosh, two months from today is Christmas. Yikes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, right? That's what I said. So, who's got celebrations? Blaze is definitely not celebrating today. No, I'm not celebrating today, though. His team lost. Anybody else? We have nobody from Arizona. Oh, <laughs> uh, we have one person from Arizona that I know of, but they're not usually on calls. Yeah. This is Chris. I'm not, I didn't really care who won, but. It's a, it's a West Coast team, so it's out there. you go. <laughs> Too funny. I love baseball, so I love it when they go to seven games. I think it's awesome. I'm a football girl. Anybody else? Hi, Gina. It's Mark. How are you today? I'm good. How are you, Mark? I'm doing good. Frankly, I've got two. Um... First one is, it was Laura's birthday last Monday. Happy birthday! Thank you. And the the second one is our anniversary today. Oh my goodness, how many years? We have 31. Wow, happy anniversary. You know, in, in our weird society, hitting any kind of number more than 10 seems to be Miraculous. Right. With stupid divorces at such epidemic levels. Yep, I I agree. So, uh, congratulations, you two. Hope you're doing something good to celebrate. Thank you. Yeah, we're going to go out and go have a nice dinner tonight. Nice, peaceful, hopefully quiet dinner tonight. Nice. Well, enjoy. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Any other celebrations? That's a good one. Okay. Well, we have exactly one question asked in advance. So it will be short, I think. Susan S. asks, I would like to understand why it is that you say we don't have to file state tax returns with your trust specifically for people that live in the state of California. California Franchise Tax Board we have, says we may have to if. And she gives me the source, so I'll put that in chat in just one second. She says, for trusts, the trustee may have to file a return if the trust meets any of these. The trustee or non-contingent beneficiary is a California resident. The trust is income from a California source. The income is distributed to a California resident beneficiary, and the trust has gross income over 10000 or net income over 100 So, in your case, you are the trustee, and you are a California resident. That alone could subject you to California taxes. 
So, why not get a PTC that's a Wyoming resident? Then you are not the trustee. It is. It's no longer a California resident. Your beneficiaries are outside of California as well, I think. Now, you do have real estate in California. And so that could be construed as California source. Uh, income distributed to a California resident beneficiary, but you don't distribute anyway, so that shouldn't be an issue. Uh, what else? Gross income over 10K or net income less uh, over 100. Please, you got any comments on this? just think that it's a very gray area of those people who have trust that are in California. California is trying to find every which way they can to try to get taxed. And, uh, it's just a tough situation. I think uh, being aggressive and not filing a return uh, is a position that you can take. And ultimately, if uh, California challenges you. You just have to be prepared to defend your position. I think it's a chance I don't want to take. And I don't want to have to be challenged by the state as to whether or not it all qualifies. So I, I'm filing. Yeah, nobody can. If you do choose to file, California has a similar... Uh, stance on capital gains income. So if you have capital gains income, I don't think you're going to need to pay taxes on it necessarily. But there is nothing that I see in California that would allow you to do the tax deferral because the way they adopted the Uniform Principal and Income Act in California, it butchered it and it would only have a positive thing with regard to capital gains income, not with passive income. Passive income is different. Not in California. Oh. Oh. Okay. What we rely on for the deferral is the Uniform Principal and Income Act. If you're going to file a state return, they're likely to say that California's version of the Uniform Principle of Income Act would apply. And California mangled it when it adopted it. So it is not the same as the actual Uniform Uniform Principle of Income Act. And George, George just realized that once you file, you'll have to continue to file. Yeah. Why would you have to continue to file if you no longer have income in the state? As long as you no longer have income from uh, or source income is the way it's worded. So if a lot of income, states, a lot of, of states take the position even if you don't have income, you should you should file unless you're putting the business out of it, taking the business out of business, or if it's an individual that uh, you should file and. In perpetuity, I guess. I don't know. They're... 
I mean, we've been told from the beginning of Rosenberg and moving over to Gina that we wouldn't have to file state taxes. Yeah, I don't. Then, I still don't think you should have to file, honestly, because this applies to California trusts, and you do not have a California trust. But you see how it says. I mean, I've never looked into this. I've always just taken the word of Susan O'Day and you but guys. California but Trust. I see what it says, but those things apply if it is a California Trust and one of these things is present. It is not a California Trust. Is your administrative address in California? Yeah, but you see how they say if you have property, why wouldn't they just stop and say it's a California trust? Instead, they add all those other things. It's just like a non-resident company or whatever has to file doesn't, doesn't like cure all because what are you going to not be the beneficiary? You're not going to be anything in your trust. So non-contingent beneficiary non-contingent beneficiary. It's a discretionary trust. Which it says right in that, if you open up that article, a discretionary trust has non-contingent beneficiaries. But it has to do with the income too, Susan, you've got income. Oh, no, I know when I saw this, I was alarmed, you know, because there's so many areas that mark the boxes for me. And but Let them come after you. Let me have a blast working with a California licensed attorney to argue about it. As I still say, it's not a California trust. There's nothing in this article that says discretionary trusts have non-contingent beneficiaries. If it wasn't in that one, I mean, I did a deep dive. I was looking in it. I just gave you the main tax source, though. But I did see that discretionary does have non-contingent beneficiaries. This was the this was my whole last week. You know how I get into my deep dive. So I'm, I know California, for anyone who's a California person. I have taken multiple deep dives, and I am here to tell you a discretionary trust doesn't use contingent or non-contingent beneficiaries. They're well, discretionary beneficiaries only. It's, there's no contingency to be a beneficiary. That's why they say discretionary trusts have them. It's, it's, no. There's no. no, there's no I'm not saying because you're handicapped, you can be a beneficiary. Because you are my child, you can be a beneficiary. Because I literally could have... You know, uh, the neighbor's dog as my beneficiary. There's no contingency to that does not make it a non-contingent beneficiary. Well, that's what they made it seem like when they were defining that. Trust me, no. Then how are discretionary you... beneficiaries uh -huh. only have a right to sit there and go, "I'm a beneficiary," but they don't have a right to anything. Right. So. It is neither a contingent nor a non-contingent beneficiary. Neither. The one thing I think they could make a good case about is if the trustee resides in California. And only one. Your 
properties are in California. I don't think that's a good enough argument either. I've got plenty of ammunition I could throw into a lawsuit on that issue. Um, I, I came in late on this conversation and all of my properties in California. So is there some way you can put this up on chat with what the I'll give you the link that Susan gave me. Thank you. But I'm really serious. Let me have at it. I would love to take that up to the California Supreme Court. Seriously. You do not have a California trust. Unless you've decided to make your administrative address in California, I do not believe any of this applies. And you're saying once you file place, you were saying then it's forever and ever and ever, even if I well, step here, Here's why. If, if I get older and, to file, and I'm a beneficiary. If you decide to file a California state return, mm -hmm. you are voluntarily putting the trust under the purview of the Franchise Tax Board. Once that happens, you do need to continue filing in California for as long as whatever caused you to do the filing in the first place is present. So if you did the filing because there is California source income from California real estate, then for as long as you own that real estate or other California real estate, you would have to continue to file because you volunteered to file. So is there a bar? I know there's a, a form that they keep talking about. On that form, does it say the reason you're filing? And then No, but you're declaring the California income when you file. Right, because my administration address would still be the South Dakota address, just like it is on my... Not a California address. Or, I'm sorry, the South Dakota address would be the... I did. I said South Dakota address would be the address that is on my IRS tax form, so it would be the same South Dakota yeah. address on my California. So then, as soon as I sell my properties and go into retirement, then I could stop filing, right, Blaze? Or you were saying forever and ever... Your no, as soon as you now cease, you can send a final return in. Market final. Like the year that you sold your last property. But I'm right. telling you, Susan, you have a South Dakota administrative address mm -hmm. with a situs in these United States of America. Mm -hmm. It's not a California trust. It's not a California trust except that these, under the state, California state rules of who should file with their trust. It doesn't say California trust with their trust. I marked the I'll file. tell you what. Here's what I'm going to do. Yeah. So I just, I just bought Bloomberg tax, right? My onboarding uh -huh. calls. Like, I had to move it because of them being sick. So it's next week. Mm -hmm. As soon as I do my onboarding call, I am going to submit a research project to have them show me case law specifically it says a non-California trust is subject to California filing requirements. We'll see what they have to say. How's that? And, and Gina, in my case in 2020, I did not know this information, so we filed 2020. And so there's no way of reversing that at this point. Because nope. I filed California. And you voluntarily chose to make the trust subject to 
Right, but at, at the time, this was not information we knew. This never came up in conversation. I've been saying this since back when I was working with Bruce, so. You've I know. She's always taken the stance that I'm never not. Yeah, she's always, that's what I've always believed. Was as soon as I started having people change the situs back in the Rosen and Rosen Trust to these United States of America, from that point forward, I've always said it's a non-California trust. Therefore, you do not need to file in California. Gina, can you do that before the deadline? Because they've extended our tax return out in California. I don't know about other states, but in California, they've extended it to November 15th. So can I'll you put the request in next week when I'm done with the onboarding call. I can't, I'm not, I can't get to the research place until after that call. It's not possible to get to. But as soon okay. as I'm done with the call, I will put it in. Okay. Okay, so basically then if my address for my trust is, is here in California and my son lives in California, then my, is it a California trust? It would be a California trust, a non-statutory non trust, but still a California trust because it has an administrative address in California. Okay. You know, how would you make a distinction between a foreign corporation having to pay tax on revenues that are derived from assets that are located in California versus a trust? Why wouldn't they be looked at? The same as a non-resident corporation. So there is no mechanism for filing a non-resident trust in the state of California, is Good point. Good point. Good point. Yes, there's not. <laughs> so how does that make it subject to the Franchise Tax Board? Uh, good argument. But I would, it's my understanding that if the income derived from the state that you were subject to it being taxed didn't matter where anything else, as long as, because the income was coming from inside California. The tax law does not say that a foreign trust would have to pay tax. They do so with corporations or individuals. Yes. But they don't say it with respect to trust, so it's only California legally. trusts that have source income in California have to pay. Right. right. That's the position I would take. And I know there is at least one case that says something similar that supports this, because I found it years ago when I was looking for it, when I was working for Bruce. I can't get to those files anymore, otherwise I'd look it up. Strong argument, Jen, I agree. But you know what would happen if you, if you went to court and you won, they changed the law. <laughs> Let's see them change the law. I would argue that it would be unconstitutional for them to do so. Okay. Touche. Okay, so then basically the apartment building that we have in the trust that's been uh, passive income is now going to be taxed in California? Oh, we didn't say that. Oh, that's, that's okay. Like I said, what I said was, I don't believe non-California trusts should be taxed by the state of California. Even if it's on income derived from real estate in the state of California. Okay. 
And I said I would go to Bloomberg Tax and have them bring me up some case law to support this. So let me do that, and then we'll see what that says. Blaze, you're a CPA. What is your thoughts on this? I mean, I think Gina has a very good argument. The law technically does not say that a foreign trust has to pay tax on income derived from a California asset. But we're not a foreign trust. We're, we're, you we're are not. a foreign trust to California. Trust. Yeah, you're a foreign trust if you're registered in uh, South Dakota or any other place. You're considered a foreign trust. Well, foreign just means you're not in the state. It doesn't mean you're in Correct. the country. Correct. Exactly. exactly. It means you're, you're not California resident. But if you were a South Dakota corporation owning real estate in California... There are provisions that require you as a South, Carol- South Dakota corporation to do a foreign entity filing in the state of California. But there exactly is right. no such thing for a foreign trust. Exactly. Everyone needs to remember. To, yeah. We're not supposed to be filing that paperwork then because we're not – it's the foreign paperwork because the paperwork does not apply. Yeah, you're not a foreign corporation. Right. There is trust. no That's such thing as a foreign trust in the state of California. Hmm. What were you going to say, Kevin? So, Susan, I was just going to say to her, you got to remember the history of this, too. So when did the IRS get formed? Do you know? When did what? I don't understand. The IRS. When, when did the IRS get formed? 1913. The same year as the Federal Reserve was formed. So it was all cooked up in the past. And who were the ones that cooked it up? There were a number of wealthy families and other stuff that helped cook it up. And so if they had trust, they made sure that they carved out the trust. That's why the trust has so much of a benefit uh, and why Gina's sort of, I think, confident in saying what she says, not only because of the law, but because really the trusts get carve-outs in many of the laws we have in the U.S. Yeah. Very true. And and California could certainly have created a law saying that foreign trusts must file in the state of California. But they didn't. Okay, that was the only question asked in advance. Who else has questions? You know, related to that... um, is, you talk about California. I'm in Washington State, but uh, so is it similar where if my property, rental property in Washington State, is owned by the trust, I don't need to file a foreign entity in Washington State. This is directly owned. Not a foreign entity in the state of Washington, right? There's no such law that says you have to file a foreign trust in the state of Washington. So, so. Those properties, because I, I thought that what we were talking about, maybe maybe I'm off on this, but I thought what we were talking about is that the properties would be owned, they're just owned directly by the trust. There's no Wyoming LLC in between them. I don't know. Is there? No, I mean, not right now. No, I'm just like, what, what's my, you know, strategy? No. Even if there was a Wyoming LLC, the well, Wyoming LLC would have to file right. a foreign company. Yeah. 
pointed to registration. So what's the strategy then? Is it to have the business trust directly own the property as well? Okay, so don't do it through a Wyoming trust. Correct. And so each one is owned by a separate division directly? Yes. And then when we're conveying, we convey it through, I think you had mentioned, through the personal trust first? If you want the value of a demand note, yes. And then the personal trust then conveys it to the divisions? Correct. Because if you convey it directly to a division, not through the personal trust, it doesn't add to your 260 account at all. The personal trust will be the interest holder in the division. It will have a basis account in the division. So it could take a distribution that would not be taxable by reducing its basis account, but you would have no way of getting money out of the trust without paying taxes on it. So that's for every conveyance, every investment, every everything goes through the personal trust first and then conveyed to the business trust? Depends. It depends on you as the client. I mean, if you want it to be part of the demand. I know there's someone on this call, Robert, who really doesn't want his demand note to be huge because he doesn't want to have to cancel interest every single year because if you look at the intent, it then looks like the intent was never to take the interest income. That's a good argument. So in Robert's case, he might have considered conveying directly to the business trust division. So only thing that is there is the basis account for the personal trust. There's no interest on the basis account. Robert, when we were talking about that the other day, I'm sorry I wasn't smart enough at the time to think about that, but that is one way of getting around it. Had you not conveyed to your personal trust first, you could convey directly to the division of the business trust and skip the personal trust and not have to worry about the demand note interest. Right, but that first tax return was done in 2020. I don't know if there's a way of unwinding that. But it didn't have all your assets in it, did it? It had most or quite a few properties in that notice, that demand note is huge. Yeah, but, well, if you've got anything that didn't get conveyed, convey directly to divisions. Yeah, good idea. Thank you. I will. Gina, that just answered my question because I was wondering why I would, if I should put it in the personal trust, you know, a note or something, but for the demand note. So you're saying that, like, I'm buying real estate directly into the business trust now. So I don't really need to do anything because my personal trust is a business unit holder, right? If you're buying new properties, not properties that you owned prior to inception of the trust, and you're buying them straight out of the divisions, that wouldn't ever have impacted your demand note anyway. Okay. It's only the ones that are conveyed, right? Correct. It's only, what I'm talking about only applies if you're conveying. So if we convey to the business trust, we do not have to do anything 
um, with the personal trust if we you don't. Know, it's a choice you get to make. Yeah. You can do it through the personal trust and then to the business trust, and it'll add to your 260 account, or you can go straight to the division and it never touches your 260 account. Uh, Go ahead, Robert. So what if the uh, personal trust reconvey back to me those properties, then I can, I can convey those. You can only do that at fair market value, Robert. I see. Which Not means that, you're going to owe a bunch of money. No, okay. So, yeah. It would, you can do that if you want it. Well, not particularly because, of course, the basis is maybe one-third at this point of the market right. But his personal trust sell those properties to the business trust? Yes, it does, but that doesn't change your G60 account. But it would okay, yes, I see what you're saying. It just gives the personal trust a basis account in the division it sold it to. Doesn't impact the fact that it still owes you money for the original purchase. Right? So when we're uh, talking about um, getting the business trust, because I was looking at the business trust to have a division that owns a Wyoming LLC to then take um, a full position, uh, 100% instead of a 90-10 split of, say, an, L an LLC, mm -hmm. uh, my wife's architecture company or, you know, companies I'm involved in or whatever. Um, so if we... If we do it that way, if there's any value being conveyed at that time, then that doesn't go to the demand note. It would be better to do... Oh, wait a minute. Any value of what? Well, for instance, in my wife's case, uh, in, in her architecture business, there's still there's still funds. Um, so she's know, doing an in-kind distribution of equity from the LLC to her, right? Um, I think so. I mean, basically, she really what she's going to do is take it out. In her in this in that example, it's going to be moved because we're just going to take the cash out because it makes no difference, right? Because it's going to get taxed either way. Um, but if the cash was left in and it was conveyed, if it was sold to the Wyoming LLC that was owned by the business division, then yeah, it would be sold to the division. It wouldn't be sold to Wyoming LLC, but it. Oh, you're saying the new Wyoming LLC that she's setting up to own her interest. Yes. Exactly. It. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and the whole point of doing that is so that the Wyoming no, LLC it's okay. can um, own 100% of the position rather than doing a 90-10 split. But the issue there is that, uh, mm -hmm. no. So, yes, that's part of it, but that's not the only reason. Okay. The way we did the 90-10 split, it would have been a personal trust holding 90% as a limited partner. Right. And even though that's how we started doing this, as things have evolved the last five years or so, especially with the memorandum having just come out, I still really believe that in the event of an audit, the IRS is going to look at a personal trust and say, it's in the business of providing for the welfare and well-being of the beneficiaries. So taking the HEMS deductions, the health, education, maintenance, and support, as long as it's pure, 
and it's in the business of providing for that, not in actual business, I don't think there's going to be any issue with the deductions for health, education, maintenance, and support expenses. But if that personal trust is also in business by virtue of the fact that it's a 90% limited partner in an LLC, now it starts to muddy the waters. And I could see the IRS going, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Either this trust is in business or it's in the business of providing for the welfare and well-being. You can do one or the other. So if you want the benefit of the tax deferral on 90% of the income, I could see them considering disallowing the health, education, maintenance, and support expenses being deducted. Blaze, do you think that's possible? Yes, I do. So, so, so what do you, you recommend? ever look at the abusive trust tax schemes page of the IRS website, IRS doesn't like business trusts because people are trying to have a trust operate business without it looking like a business, trying to make it look like a trust so it gets the tax mitigation benefits. IRS isn't happy about that. The way we operate the divisions, especially when the divisions are the sole member of entities, it is so pure and it operates just like a business would be expected to operate. And it doesn't change the fact that you still get the tax deferral because that happens once it's in the personal trust. It doesn't happen within the business trust. So now you have one trust that's strictly operating business and another trust that's in the business of providing for the welfare and well-being of the beneficiaries. And it's pure in both instances. So I am still saying that having the divisions as the sole member of a Wyoming LLC is the way to go. Okay. And so in those cases, when you do that, um, you want to pull whatever. I mean, the, the, any value that is there that, that you would try to convey isn't going to go towards the man, though, right? Because he's not going through the personal trust first. Correct. And so you do that so that any any um, income or, or value that's accrued afterwards going forward is, is now deferred on taxes. But whatever is already in the value of, the, of that business at that point in time, you can't really um, – you can't get that to uh, – to be added to the demand note, you'd have to cash it out and then move the cash into the personal account to the demand note. Right. Okay. Okay, so no, no, longer, no longer recommending 90-10 splits at all. And remember that usually if you want the value of a demand note when it comes to conveying entities, it needed to have the capital put in right in the operating agreement. And to this day, of all the LLCs I've looked at, I have exactly two that stipulated what the capital really was at the time they set the LLC up. Because otherwise it's too difficult to give you a valuation, an accurate valuation. 
So you don't normally get the value. Like when you're doing a 9-10 split, it doesn't add to your 260 account at all. And I thought I'd asked you once before if it listed the amount of capital that your wife put in, and it was a nominal amount. Yeah, it's not. That's the value that would have gotten added to the command note, not the actual value of the capital account. Okay, because that's the basis. Right. Okay. I'll take a a week to wrap my brain around all that. Thanks. There you go. Gina, going back to the uh, South Dakota administrative address, in my case, when I started my trust, we had the California address. So now that I changed to I have a South Dakota administrative address, do we need to register that with the uh, Franchise Tax Board? No. You don't have to tell them that you uh, already have a South Dakota address? Did you do something to register with the Franchise Tax Board originally? No, 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 no nothing. Okay. Just, just what you did with the, uh, with the trust, that's it. Yeah, they don't know anything about the trust. Great. Thanks, you. Yeah. Who else has questions? Just going back real quick, Gina, when you were talking about the, uh, the basis account, is that base, were you basically talking where it's like a sort of capital distribution from a regular company entity? Well, for a regular entity, you have a capital account in the business trust or the divisions. That capital account is called a basis account. Yep. So. Whoever the interest holder is, whatever capital they put into that division gets added to their basis account. But when you made the you made the statement about uh, the basis could come out of the division without having a tax versus it being you, you were giving a comparison. Yeah, so if it had gone into a two sixty account in a personal trust that means the trust has to repay that note to you plus interest. So anytime you want money out of the trust, you can take it out and reduce your 260 account. You are not a beneficiary of the business trust or any of its divisions. So you can't take money out through a capital account called the basis yep. account because you're not a beneficiary. Beneficiary, yep, got it, okay. No, that, that makes Your sense. Your personal trust to... could, but that doesn't help you get money out to you. Okay, no, that makes sense. I was just, the way I was hearing it, it sounded like you were describing it like a, uh, like with an entity where it's the ability to, to get the capital out. But yeah, no, I, I understand the distinction differently now. Well, you can do it like an entity and get the capital out. But the capital has to go in an entity. The capital goes to the the owner, which is a member of an LLC. Same thing happens in the business trust divisions. It just goes to the beneficiary or interest holder. But that's not you. It's your personal trust. Agreed. 
Who else has questions? Hi, Gina. This is Lou. Hi, Lou. Hi. Um, I've been filing tax return and put my uh, residential address on, on the form. Should I use my South Dakota address from now? Are you using the address as the trustee's address or as the trust's address? Oh, I, I didn't even pay attention to that. I just put the address there on top, on the first page. On top, on top I believe, is the trust's address. On the signature line is the trustee's address. Am I right, please? Yes, that's correct. So I? if your trust address is not in California, you should not be using a California address. No, I mean Washington, state of Washington. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, so should I do uh, amendment? South Dakota. No, not for an address, no. Okay. So I, I should just use South Dakota's from next year? Yes. Okay. But know that if you use the Washington State address on the top, the IRS is going to report any income to the state of Washington. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's no income for now. So it's uh, okay. after the deduction everything. Okay. So I can check. All right. Thank you. Is it, questions. is it a, um, I, I know we're talking about in the future having, you know, uh, directories and all that. Is, is it uh, fine to just, on these chats, just say, hey, anybody that wants to throw contact information, go for it? Because I, I would love to. Sure. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put mine out there. If anybody else would like to, I would love to get your, your guys' contact information. I'd like to, at, at this point, I'd like to connect with everybody. So I'll do that right now. Got it. We're, we're talking about having a list. During our event, right? Correct. Yeah. I don't know what happened that we didn't get that out to everybody, but we do have data to put that together. If I can request, uh, you know, whoever's on this call, and maybe I'll just do this on other calls too, but just, uh, yeah, if you don't mind throwing your personal um, information up there if, you're, if you want to, um, I'm going to put mine up, and I would love to. Uh, and if you don't want it out to the whole group, but you're okay with Ryan having it, just send yes. it as a private message. That's okay, too. Anybody else have questions? Yeah, Gina, this is John. Hey, John. Just um, to clarify the, the 90 tenth split, my understanding is now is that we shouldn't be doing that? I didn't say you shouldn't be doing it. I said the preference is to do it through a business trust. Okay, well, I'll be, I, I've been doing that for a while now, for this year anyhow. Just remember that August 9th memorandum, that's a big deal. Like I've said on other calls, once, 1020, once the 2023 tax year gets filed, I think we're going to see a rash large number of audits of 1041 returns. Yeah, I do too. You want to make sure that as things evolve, because it's not really a change, it's an evolution, 
that you're doing things in a way that is as compliant as possible and that should you get audited, you're going into the audit with your eyes wide open. So at least be aware of it and be thinking about how you would respond if it was questioned in an audit. For some people, it's not that big of a deal because they don't have a whole bunch of health education maintenance and support deductions. So if they got this allowed, no biggie. For others like me that have mammoth medical expenses, well, it would be a lot worse for me if that happened. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. It's another example of how flexible the trusts really are. For one person, you can do it one way, and for another person, you can do it a different way. It's flexible enough to work for all of you. I have a question for you, Dr. Gina. Good, Chelsea. Um, is, did you end up doing, like, a training specific to the PTC, the language of the documents, the functionality, all I that? I did not. And part of the reason I haven't done it yet is the Wyoming LLC attorneys are still updating one of the documents for me. Once I get all the docs and the condition that they should be in, then I will do that. But I'm not going to do it until the docs are right. Okay. Because we have questions regarding the language in there, some that we were not expecting to be there, regarding definitions of family members to the ninth and tenth generation who can sit on the committees why Cloud Peak is on both the committees that they formed, why those committees have to be in existence. Is all of this familiar to you from the sections in the, in the documents that they created? So some of that I can answer right now. Okay. The, uh, go ahead. The, Let's start with the family one. That one was most concerning. Um, no, it says, no, I can't answer that one right this second. Uh, okay. <laughs> I have no idea why that's there. Okay. But you know it is, right? I mean, we said I know that it's there. I just don't know why it's there. Okay. And All nobody's right. explained it to me well enough to consider it needing to be there. Um, okay. Let's start with the committees. So yeah, let's... you need to have both the investment committee and the distribution committee. One of the okay. changes I've asked for is to remove the amendment committee. We have trust protectors, and the trust protector is the one that makes amendments to the trust. I do not want a separate committee being able to amend the trust ever. So that is one of the things they're going to remove for me. Okay. The reason for the other two committees is very important. That's what changes the control from before inception of the trust to after inception of the trust. But this was our biggest concern because it says that no family members can sit on those committees. And you told us they could. So I told you they can because the head senior attorney at the firm looked into it and told me they could, given the nature of our trust. That's one of the amendments I'm waiting for them to make. Okay, so you are trying to amend that portion about family members so that it doesn't yes, exist. and if they don't give me that amendment, I'll just make the amendment and give it to anybody who needs it. I already have permission to modify the documents. Okay, so 
then um, with the creation of our PTC, how do you suggest we proceed since our documents are not amended? Just go ahead and sign them, and then yeah, they amend them as time goes for on. You. They'll be amended for me. Uh, how will they be amended for us? New docs will show up in your portal, and they will email you once that's done. I see. Okay. All right. That works. And then why does Cloud Peaks have to be on all the committees? You need a trusted advisor on both the investment committee and the distribution committee. Must. Now, if you don't want to use Cloud Peak, you don't have to use Cloud Peak. I think the strongest thing to do would be to have tax attorneys on both. Second strongest is any other kind of an attorney on both. And third strongest would be a CPA on both. But that is oversight. And that's why it's okay to have family members on the committee because you have a trump card with a trusted advisor. Okay, so what role are, let's say we go with cloud people. They're not tax attorneys, right? Yes, they are. Well, they are. So the we keep them on, on there. The committee are. And what role are they actually playing? I mean, when we have committee meetings, we're supposed to schedule it so that they can participate? So you don't necessarily have a committee meeting. If there's an investment or distribution, you go back into the portal, go to the questionnaires. There is a questionnaire for each purpose. When you go in and complete the questionnaire, it spits out a document that gets sent to each member of the committee. You need to send it to each member. It automatically gets sent to them if they're on the committee. And then each member of the committee needs to approve or not approve that request. And that's what then gives the manager the permission to go and do the thing they're trying to do. And distribution are different than investments and distributions are clearly different than all the HEMS requirements. Um, right. That doesn't have to get approved. So the HEMS no. expenditures, those can be met by just having a credit card for Jordan and I, who are the guardians of all the beneficiaries. We it's use that credit card. For whoever the manager is of the PTC. Right, if but the that's manager, not going to be you, then the manager be on behalf of the PTC should give you a power of attorney that allows you to use those credit cards. Uh, okay, that's the step we're missing. Manager needs to give us a POA. And then the manager is added to all the accounts. They should, well, the PTC by its manager is added to the account. Right. It's not the manager. It's the BTC. Who else other than a CPA or a lawyer qualifies as an advisor? Only two. PA would also be, be in that role, right? I wouldn't use them for the committee, no. CPA is for an attorney. Is there a reason for no for not an EA? Stronger. Is 
because technically you have a trusted advisor on the committee so that they can advise you on the action you want to take or not take, right? Yeah, no, I get that. Because the way I've been looking at it is... going to have different knowledge than a, an EA. Right, yes, no, I agree. Anybody else? Quick point on a disclosure, the 8075 form. Do you think that might be helpful to include in a filing for a trust that's taking the deductions that you mentioned previously uh, that are... That also has a 90-10 split on income from an LLC? Yeah. Right. I absolutely think that would be a good thing to do on the disclosures. Absolutely, yeah. Now we'll have to talk about how to language it. But, yeah, I do think that's a good idea. Okay. Which form was that, please? An 8275. It's a disclosure form. For any of you that had text in doing your tax returns in September and October, the way we filed the tax returns is different than we used to. So if you saw your other deduction schedule, there's a line item for extraordinary dividends. It does not have all the other language that we used to add to it. It has extraordinary dividends, C8275 disclosure. Then there's a separate form that's filed called an 8275. It's used anytime there's something that's in a gray area on a tax return. By making a disclosure, the IRS cannot issue penalties because you disclosed that this was being done. And there's even some suggestion that it might even be possible to not have interest assessed. At most, that if they disagreed with it, they could assess back taxes. As long as it doesn't contradict a Treasury regulation, correct? Well, you're only putting this in there if it's in a gray area. If it contradicts Treasury regulation, that's not yeah, a gray you're area. You're not going to do it. Yeah, true, true, true. It's only used for things that are in a grayer area. So, some, on the there, only reason I said that is some of the Treasury regulations can be a little gray at times. Well, if it's a gray area, then it's a gray area. If it's clear, then it the Treasury Reg would trump it, and you wouldn't issue an 8275. No agreement. So on the 8275, we will say extraordinary dividends added to corpus pursuant to local law and the trust instrument. That's where we say all of that, not on the other deductions. So it's my understanding, Gina, are you saying then that if, these, um, if Texan had, had done your returns, that form would automatically be sent along with it? If it was done in September or October, it would have. If it yeah, was I can attest to that. Year, then it wouldn't have been. Yeah, I can attest to that um, because I've got a form 8275 with my 1041. That uh, Lace and Dave and all the that group did. 
and it's a really simple statement. It um, is, isn't it? Yeah. And it's what we used to put on the other deduction schedule. It's just doing it slightly differently. So it doesn't have 643 listed in it, number one. Number two, it just, by doing it on the 8275, I think it's less likely to be scrutinized by an algorithm automatically than it would have been if it was right in the other deductions listed out with all the detail. Any other questions? Yeah, I did have a, a general one. Well, ben, go ahead, on, Hold on, Susan's asking something of Ben. Yeah. Hey, Ben, I'm wondering when you're going to start. You know, before we used to see the recordings like the next week, uh-huh. but they're they're falling behind. I know you're crazy busy with. <laughs> is that is that just temporary because of your yeah? yeah. Something was going on because when you said they were up to date, Ben. I went back and looked again, and they still were not up to date. Well, I just got in it this afternoon. Your illness. Uh-huh. Yeah, I just got up this well when I woke up this afternoon and I looked. Um, I had put those up, and when I went back in, I didn't hit publish. Uh, so I did the work, but nobody could see it. Right. So everything, all the way up to this week's Monday call, everything's in there now. Okay. Good. So you should be able to see it. If not, let me know. But I did double check. I published it. Okay, good. No, you have to say that. I know, seriously. Not more than one or two calls out of date. So for him not to have done any of the calls for weeks, I was like, what the hell? Yeah, I was thrown off when I got your text. You <laughs> know, uh, I just found something regarding trusted advisors on the uh, artificial intelligence app. Can I post that? can send it to me. I don't want it posted because I don't trust the artificial intelligence when it comes to stuff related to trusts. Understood. I'll, I'll send it to you directly. I'll it's tell you. A little bit, but. You should see some of the stuff that I have seen from AI and related to trusts because people have tried telling me, oh, well, ChatGPT told me blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Not good. No, and, and, yeah, it could, be, it could be totally wrong because that's right. It, but I think it's a lot of it has been totally wrong. Okay. I got a question. Um, going back to the committees, Gina, you said that they have to be um, informed and we have to get approval from them for investment. So we have to go to the investment committee. That means every time we want to make an investment, we have to get approval, whether it's for um, buying surgery center shares or it, well, anything else we have to get approval for now? In the personal trust? Yes. Are you buying surgery center shares in the personal or the business trust? Oh, okay, so that's the per- okay. That makes sense for the surgery center. What about other investment um, bodies? Read the documents. Any investment. Any investment. Okay, so uh, 
purchasing large assets like a piano for children's music lessons. We'd have to get up and move them. For investment purposes. It is an investment, but it's not for investment purposes for children's music lessons. So we could potentially utilize a life insurance policy to purchase a piano without the approval of a committee. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sorry, the PTC is really throwing a curveball at me trying to figure out how to, how to operate through the PTC and these committees. Uh, thanks for your patience while I try to wrap my head around it. Wow. And Way to think about it, maybe, if I, I don't know if you want to correct hold me. Hold on. Please hold on. Go ahead. Go ahead. Don't freak out on it being so all-encompassing. It's not intended to be. It's intended to have a differentiation between the level of control over the assets prior to the trust and the level of control after the trust. That's what it's meant for. And technically, you are not supposed to be the one doing the quote-unquote purchasing and investments. The manager of the PTC is the one that's supposed to be doing those things. Now, my suggestion, and you're not going to like it, is that when you decide to go and buy something big like a piano using proceeds of a life insurance policy, I would do meeting minutes that are signed by the manager of the PTC, and in those meeting minutes, I have directed Jordan and Chelsea to purchase a piano using proceeds from the blank insurance policy for children's music education be as detailed as possible. I've instructed Jordan and Chelsea to use the power of attorney to make this purchase. And then we make the purchase, sign it POA. Okay. Because otherwise, OPTC is really just a shell game. Because it's still you and Jordan controlling everything. It's true. Or we could just have the manager do it. We could have the manager sign everything and then it would be fine as well. Okay. Either one. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. Yep. And all I was going to say is, isn't that really what we're sort of supposed to do, the way everything is structured? It's like with meeting minutes and other stuff, we're, you know, the trustee, without the PTC, prior to the PTC, we should be doing some of these levels of, of steps to, to document things in the meeting minutes, correct? Yes. Yeah. So but I just look at it as now we... the PTC, so many of you were your own trustees. Correct, correct. Now you're not. Now you're a beneficiary once the PTC is in place. Yep, yep. And a beneficiary taking those actions without being directed to do so by a trustee is a big bad thing in the IRS's eyes. Right, yeah. No, I get that. I get that. So my question was related to uh, the divisions and um, joint venturing. If a party that doesn't have a personal trust and 
you know, isn't inclined to maybe get one for a period of time. Um, the, be- the their beneficial interest could go to them, their LLC, or does it? It doesn't have to be an entity, or could it be personally as well? It'd be personally as well. And then they just have to deal with it's, what's the different tax consequences between personal and uh, LLC, just so I'm able to explain that. Well, I don't know that I can explain it. There's too many different scenarios. Because of the, the type of holding. circumstances. Okay, the reason I was thinking it was generic is more related to the types of shares for the beneficial interest. So if it's if they're just uh, B dash two, I don't know where how that would impact it at all. And that, you don't think that's not the way to look at it? Well, they'd have to have B one or B two units to share in profit. B3 and B4 don't share in profits. So if it's, you know, related to a distribution of profit, then they're getting it either as a B-1 interest holder or a B-2 interest holder. Yep, yep. Whether they're taking it individually or through an entity, what that tax consequence would look like, I couldn't tell you. It depends on their unique set of circumstances. No, I, I get that. What I was more going for is what, what you were just talking about. And I thought that there was whether they were taking the cash or not. But if it's being retained in the division and they're not going to be taking distributions initially because that division's going to be purchasing more properties or other things, um, then they wouldn't need a personal trust for a period of time, and they could do it in either LLC or personal or uh, personally. Huh? Going to have tax consequences. Why would they not want? Or why would they not need a personal trust? And they don't need it. But if they don't want to pay taxes, then it doesn't help them at all to, to avoid taxes. I don't understand the question at all, Kevin. I got you. No, I, I, no, I, I, I understand how to think about it then. And Robert, I did look at what you had in there. This has nothing at all to do with what I'm talking about. Not even related. Because the question that you started with was, who is a trusted advisor? Or what is a trusted advisor? Right? Or a Wyoming private family trust company. <clears throat> yeah, but... It's not for a Wyoming... That's not the relevant question to ask you. It's really more about how would the IRS perceive a Wyoming Family Trust Company committee if it didn't have, like, who would qualify for that in the eyes of the IRS is what you're really asking. 
Right. Well, yeah, and there are several ways of asking the same question to get exactly what. Uh, it's really about the perception to the IRS. Got it. Got it. It's not just about in a Wyoming family trust company. Because yes. most private trust companies aren't structured the way that ours are. This okay. is a very unique private trust company. There we go. All right. Uh, I will have another question if we have a few minutes uh, regarding. We don't. As I'm late already, I had a one o'clock call. I gotta run, everybody. Thanks, guys. Oh, Friday. Uh, Matt and I are both gonna be in meetings all day Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So I will not be on Monday's call. Friday we have a networking call. Ben, are you good with taking the networking call yourself? Blaze will be here too. Um, potentially. I want to talk to you though. Um, this afternoon first before I okay. confirm that. Okay. So watch for your emails about Friday. And no call Monday, you said? I'm going to see if I can get ladies and men to take it for me without me being there. I'll be, like, knee-deep in meetings by then. Okay. Okay. Bye. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, guys. Have a good weekend. All right, here we go.